0: Teas Piping Hot Tea is brewed and ready to be shared over a table of contemporary conversations with you. Welcome to the analysis table where we conversate, interrogate, laugh and weep as we stand in the commoners gallery feasting on matters of public interest. If your friends laugh a little because you love to unpack and you're always addressing, this is the show for you. When the teapot stops whistling, I hope the fruitful thought is filling. Hello everyone and welcome to the Tea with Tea podcast. This month I have a guest with me in studio while we speak about the wounds that gave us warmth. Right, so I'm with Chloe today. Hi Chloe, how are you doing girl?
1: I am doing great, how are you? And hi to all the listeners.
0: I'm good, thank you. You sound like you've had a beautiful day. You know, I don't know how true that is, but you know, the energy <laughs> you're giving me is so...
1: It's warm. No, I've, I've, I love it. I've I've, I've I've had a great day. I have I yeah no. I went to church. I felt my Jesus. My energy is flowing. I feel refreshed. I no. I've, I had a beautiful day. How about you? Did you have a good day?
0: I had a great day actually. I spent my day relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> For the most part of it, I think I've had seven cups of tea. I opened the windows so the sunlight comes in because I love the sun, the natural sun. Um, I have failed at keeping a plant alive and (laughs) I've been working on my, you know, working on my energy, just checking (laughs) if I have the capacity, (laughs) but I I would love to have plants one day, you know, so hopefully
1: i tried to keep multiple plants alive and it's, it's not enough for me either so i'm gonna just get me a cat like I just feel like a, low, a low maintenance animal is what i mean
0: well i tried getting a puppy it doesn't really work out well because yo he would poop everywhere i was just easy, like easy. So, I low maintenance like
1: <laughs> every now and then like how <laughs> you can survive on your own in your own
0: corner for a long time. <laughs> Man, um so just chatting it up about how our days were and how in the cycle of things there are things that we can't keep alive and some things that we're trying to navigate and work towards as the title of the episode speaks about warmth which i think is what both our sundays felt like you know some warmth and the title of the podcast is going to be for the wombs that gave us warmth women may we know them uh what would you say your definition of a woman is and why you admire women in your society
1: I think the definition of woman for me is just, like, it's just power. Like, if I could just encapsulate woman. I, I can't define woman, but I just feel like power is the word that, like, describes us closely, you know? Like, we're such powerful beings. I think women are the people who put me back together, you know? Like, mm. after everything that I'd known fell apart, it was women who held my hand and reminded me of who I am in my womanhood. Um, and I think that just holds like so much power. We hold power Mm -hmm. in the fact that we sustain life, that we are literally the ground where life grows, you know, and Mm -hmm. that we can breathe life back into people, um, be it platonically, be it romantically, like we have the power to bring life into society. And yeah, I just think women, we're just, we're just power. And I think I admire women. A lot, not for their strength, because I feel like we really Mm. put this, you know, a woman is so strong, but not for their strength, but more for the fact that we're able to be so vulnerable in in this life, you know, we're able Mm. to break down and be vulnerable in community as well. I think that's something that I've learned to appreciate about women and something that I admire a lot about women is that we all carry scars, you know, and we all hold each other up until we're able to hold ourselves up again. So it's not that we're strong. I think it's the collective strength that makes us strong.
0: I love that. The collective strength that makes us strong. And I think when you spoke about how it matters to you that the experience of womanhood is, although it is powerful, there's also vulnerability mentioned there. Do you think that it matters how other people who aren't women perceive womanhood in society?
1: I think it depends on like if you're an, um, if you're identifying as a woman. I think then yes, it definitely does matter. Like if you're an identify, like if you identify as a woman in society. But I think if like you're a male identifying person, your opinion on womanhood really means nothing to me. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. <laughs> because <laughs> like as harsh as it sounds, um, I just feel like you have no capacity to, to describe me in the same way that i kind of like i okay we all embody god differently and i think that women just tap into a different sense of godly embodiment that i think men just can't fully really conceptualize you know mm. yeah i love that i
0: think also <laughs> I think also when you said, listen, it means nothing to me. <laughs> Someone might be sitting there feeling offended, but truly, honestly, if you can't understand something, then how can you hold space for it and its truth exactly. in its fullest form? You know? Exactly. So it also then leads to the conversation around the rights of women in our societies and how you said that we birth and bring life into the world, but somehow the policies that around women and gender based violence sometimes aren't as uh what can i say actioned on enough by mm, the state mm. and the people that are supposed to protect us mm. would you say that they have a perception of the power of women and their importance based on the fact that they are a capsule for life bringing into life bringing life into this world
1: i think they do but i also think that like the cap- the the capsule of womanhood in society, especially in the way that men perceive women, is very like it's very dumbed down, you know. I think men mm. men tend to to harbour this weird energy towards women, which is very weird for me because like a lot of them are raised by women, especially black men. You know, a lot of black households are headed by women. Even even if it's like a two parent home, majority of the time the parent who is providing and sustaining and showing up is a woman so when Mm. it comes to gender-based violence and just like how our society um, looks at this issue I think men don't take it as seriously because for them it's like to some extent I truly believe that men men want to harm women like I think I I don't know how to explain it but like I really think that men really see women as like the the poster for all their problems, you know? So it's a thing Mm. of, like, yes, we sympathize with gender-based violence and, you know, we want to eradicate it and help put up better systems and institutions to heal society. But the people in power are part of the problem. You know, they grew up in, in a time and space where beating your wife or seeing your mother get beat by your father was normalized it was a normal thing you know so having to unlearn that and then now going into spaces where you're trying to change and protect women but you're not actually trying to change and protect women because if they were i really feel like we would have had harsher laws by now proper like i mm. think gender based violence is a thing that like comes once in a while for men like we we hear a gruesome story a woman was murdered and com- completely you know brutalized and raped and mm. suddenly you know men let's do better but it's like you're still friends with your friend who repeatedly chased off to the girl who keeps telling him no you know mm. like you're hyping him on up oh, dude she's just playing hard to get keep trying like no means no no is a complete sentence it doesn't mean mm. try harder it doesn't mean i want you to chase me you know And I think if men still hold up those beliefs, especially our leaders, you know, um, and then when you add in culture into all of it, it just becomes this really toxic space that I just don't see having any, like, concrete change or material, like, progress anytime soon.
0: Mm. And that's the sad reality. yeah that's that's quite sobering i think because you know <laughs> yeah. when you said <laughs> when you said that <clears throat> the the way that it happens is that yes there is an intention behind it but there isn't actual there, there isn't actual action behind the yes. statements or the words that are said so there is some sort of empathy and some sort of wanting to help but there isn't actually any Sustainable and material developments that are in line yeah. with that. Now, before we talk about what a better world would look like, would you say that there is a history of women in the Southern African region not being appreciated, or would you say that this is a culture that has been inherited from some sort of ancestral trauma, so to
1: say? I think it's a culture that's been inherited from ancestral trauma. Because I think if you look back at like ancient societies, especially, okay, I can only speak on my culture, but the Tsonga culture is very matriarchal, you know, Mm. Um, or at least within my family. And even in that, there's like a breakdown that I think colonization and apartheid kind of brought in, you know, having to see black men go away because they have to go find work in other places, in remote areas or in the city. And then you have these households which are championed and headed by women. And then when these men come back, it's like that power struggle. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but I think with that and then just the, over time, you know, how patriarchal institutions and just propaganda, you know, about men just being 10 times more capable than women and just, you know, our place just being mute in the kitchen and just minding our business. Um added more fuel to the fire in my opinion and I think overall like yeah culturally in society I I I just I've lost hope you know Mm. Mm. um and I think it's because like you just see so much you just read so much you just experience so much as a woman yourself you know um being in spaces where you have to advocate for yourself, for your own safety, being in spaces where you have to be hyper alert and hyper vigilant to the point where now you develop like literal anxiety is mm. it, it it's traumatizing. I don't think we actually sit down and like reflect on how traumatizing living as a woman in society can be mm. like just the, just, just, just the embodiment, you know, just being in this shell of, as much as it's very powerful being a woman, it's also such a a terrifying thing, you know. Mm-hmm. When you spoke about the history of the Tonga culture
0: being very matriarchal, I remembered a lecture that I was watching by Miss Kainseel-Lichful Chabalala, mm-hmm. who was on another podcast um, being interviewed by Nsegi And the question that was raised was about the impact of colonialism as well as capitalist incentives in southern Africa to the Nguni people and what that sufficed in. So when Mm. you said that the heads of families would leave and go to work and typically the working conditions were very oppressive. And what that means is there is a removal of your identity Um, and bodily autonomy. So you don't have a right to speak up for yourself, perhaps, which was allowed in pre-colonial village structures where there would be communities and hearings and every person was liberated to speak for themselves or to speak Mm -hmm. on behalf of their family. But when you leave your home... And you are met with an individual who tells you that you are not a being equal to me, but mm. you're a being that is below me. The power dynamic that that happens is that because you have left your home and you no longer feel as though you have any control over anything, all the frustrations that you cannot take out on the person who has declared you um smaller or yes, like inferior. they're superior than you. You know, you're mm. taking that home and you're pushing all of that pressure onto the, I'd say, the the, the person who's less powerful in the dynamic, but though I yes. don't want to use that word because I think you were very intentional when you said women are powerful in the beginning, but mm. less powerful in the setting. So then we have high rates of um, GBV and violence in our communities. Mm. And this violence has perhaps also been architectured By everything that our ancestors had gone through you know so yes yes also would you say that a contributing factor to what society has now become for women can we blame capitalism to an extent or do you think that's taking it too far
1: i think we can blame capitalism because capitalism also puts this pressure on men to be these like hyper providers you know and Mm. capitalism also like breeds toxic masculinity and now you have these men who want to prove their masculinity through through violence towards women you know because unfortunately or fortunately however you choose to look at it we are um physically less superior than men men will always be physically stronger than me you know Um, i have a younger Mm. brother he's like four years younger than me but he's stronger than me Mm. And there's no denying that. He may be like, he's skinnier than me and he's like, he's taller than me, but he's physically stronger than me. And mm. um, now if people tell, like if capitalism and patriarchy tell you that to be a man means you got to be the strong, powerful, money making machine asset who just like is a freaking diehard king in society and you don't feel like that, what's the best way for you to feel like a conqueror? By conquering the weakest person you have access to. Do you understand? So mm-hmm. I think capitalism does play a very big role in the perpetuation of gender based violence. I think it's it's one that's, you know, not looked at enough, but I do mm. think I do think it plays a, a role. And
0: I think what you said with regards to the mindset associated with it, because I think you said something around, you know, the freaking king of the universe. And it's crazy (laughs) because (laughs) under capitalism, you're not going to become the freaking king of the universe anyway. So it's kind of like the structure has been designed for you to purposefully fail. And if we look Mm. at the perceptions of women across um, different regions, right, Mm. and across different classes, Mm. in as much as the evidence may suggest that a large majority of people still don't see themselves being equal to women or don't see themselves at least negotiating with, you know, women at the same level. And yeah. in as much as a lot of people say it, you'll find that even in the manner of speech and um, the manner of engagement, that men from different parts of the world, um, you know, perhaps hold very similar and centralized views. Now, would you say that there is an important in the way that, we are educated in order to be able to realize the importance of women in our society.
1: 100%. Um, I think if you had to ask like 19 year old Chloe, who just started varsity as this radical feminist believer, mm. she'd be like, you know, men need, you know, men are ignorant and we need to like, you know, drill it into their heads and create spaces that, um, that educate them and just expose them to, their physical what their physical masculine presence actually represents and the harm that it creates in society when abused and used incorrectly um but Mm. i think now that i'm growing um i came across this book that one of my friends um recommended for me to read i forgot the name but it was by i think kimberly crenshaw and she was just talking about how the only way to like, not the only way, but one of the most successful ways that we could re educate men in terms of understanding feminism is by being nurturing to them and allowing them the space to hear the message in a nurturing tone because men are only ever bashed at and they're not given the space to be these vulnerable beings, you know, especially black men. So basically, kind of saying that. Or if you look at it in this perspective, that we as women have to remodel how we want the message, like, you know, how we deliver the message so that it it, it opens up their hearts so that they're open enough to hear it. And I think to a certain degree, I do kind of like resonate with that now. I think black men do go through a lot. Mm. And, you know, there's no disputing that. And I think... As women, like I said earlier, we have community and space that allows us to be vulnerable and allows us to be empathetic. And I think that plays a lot into how we engage with other people, other beings, and our understanding this, you know, and our willingness to want to strive to be better. And I think the lack of that space for black men, especially um, very cultural black men. It creates a wall in terms of providing, you know, proper education and proper awareness to actually curb the gender-based violence rates in this country. Mm. It's very interesting that you said um,
0: that women need to perhaps being a bit more nurturing. I don't know if I don't know how far I'd agree with that because you no, know yeah, I it feel is
1: a <laughs> shocking. Like yeah, like, like, I it's a would lie. Yeah. I finished it because at first I was like, huh, "Ma'am, what? <laughs> you want me to like first of all, I wouldn't even educate white people on racism. Now you want me to go tell black men how to behave." No. Face. Precisely. But... <laughs> you know,
0: I don't know. I feel I feel as though there's a lot of blame that's been placed on yes. women with regards yes. to how things have turned out. Yes. And the yes. reason why I spoke specifically about the womb, right, mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of, um, what can I say, biased conversations that happens online. And so people will say, you know, typically, um, there's this chat about how in general, so like, you know, generalizations about a lot of mm-hmm. things, but mm-hmm. there's one except that I came across that spoke about how uh, women love mothers, not women, sorry, how mothers love their sons and raise their daughters. And so what that I feel for me explained was that when you, when you live in a patriarchal home, which is most black homes, homes, when you live in a patriarchal home, what you'll find usually is that your siblings who, you know, are not women, um, they're not going to know a lot of the things that you end up knowing. So they, get away with not knowing how to cook they'll get away with not knowing how to clean they'll get away with not knowing how to do their own laundry just because for them it's more you know take care of my son and with how we grow up on the other hand is that we are we we are raised to ensure and to take care of other people now in a in a perfect world where everything is working perfectly right when i say in a perfect world where everything is working perfectly i mean we have land we have access to I safe environments. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, we're landless. Gosh, it's like, a... we're landless. That's we have no... We need. Yo, that's the first thing. We need, we need the land back, okay? So, if, you're, land, listening if this, you're listening to this, give us the land. <laughs> so...
1: Come on. Yo,
0: because, yeah, we just need some... As we just need someone to just give us a chance, you know? Like... So, there's a lot of... Um, what can I say, emasculation that perhaps has happened to them over the years, but there's also been a lot of coddling that has happened to them over the years.
1: Do you know
0: that a lot of the times I will meet a man, even when it's not even, I don't even stand for this in a romantic environment, you know, Mm. like I will do my nice deeds, but what I do not like is weaponized incompetence. What do you mean? You do not know how the stove works you know you've lived in this house for so long and you don't know how the stove works so it's little mm-hmm. things like that for me that make me feel as though we've been responsible for ensuring that everyone grows up we've been responsible for ensuring that our brothers understand you know you destigmatize menstrual cycles you destigmatize mm. um like women needing space you know you're destigmatizing so much because so much mm. there's there's a veil you know so in yes. as much as Perhaps they respond to gentler tones. They had mothers for that, you know. I don't know. Perhaps there is that, you know, exception where you didn't have that growing up. But a large majority is that there's a lot of coddling that has happened. And in as much as we can say coddling happens. And protecting, you know, when I feel as though perhaps in society, based on the look of things and based on the high rates of GBV in the countries, the people who seem to not, be spoken with with gentleness in this situation. Let's say are the people
1: who give birth. You know, I one hundred percent agree with you. Like one hundred percent. I think I think the book obviously is very controversial, and I myself am taking it with a grain of salt. You know, there's some parts where I'm like, <laughs> ma'am, you're asking too much of me. <laughs> you uh, know, yeah. Mm-mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some parts where it's like. Oh, okay I, I could try I could try you know um, mm. I think like okay so I've just recently like gone back to my dad's place and I'm kind of like living here a little bit part time and um, it's the first time where I've had to engage with like a younger male because I have a younger brother
0: and just mm. basically
1: like just engage with a man outside of my man bashing activities that I do for fun <laughs> you know okay um, <laughs> so that, it's been very interesting because I do like f- I, I had to have a conversation with myself because there are moments where I see myself coddling this person or protecting this person and it's like no man what am I doing like this this is like what I'm always advocating against and here I am mm. perpetuating mm. this exact behavior And it's, it's very interesting because like, unless you're attuned to it, it can literally go unnoticed under the radar, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree.
0: I think we can hold space for two truths at the same time. Yes. So we can hold space for the truth that there is a lot of, there are a lot of things that that they have gone through and we're not here to evoke gender wars. We're here to just have a conversation yeah. about mm. the warmth of women, but we can also hold space and say, you know, over the years, the ancestral trauma has rested mostly with uh, what women have had to endure mm. and have had to reteach and re, you know, integrate into societies um, over time. So just now to move along uh, with the conversations with regards to rights and prejudices, um, in my country currently we're facing what I would say is a health crisis and mm-hmm. I like to say health crisis because in as much as I do believe that some state facility failure is intentional that's not a conspiracy mm-hmm. I'm willing to get into now but at the point where hospitals don't have access to pain medication, at the no, point where you don't have access to pain, is, you know what I'm saying, yeah. what do you think is the effect on the generation of women who are now giving birth or trying to give birth? And what do you think that difficulty is um, projecting
1: or is laying out for them for their lives? I think it's, it's, it's leading to unnecessary deaths. I think when hospitals don't have, like, the proper equipment, the proper medicine, the proper staff, you know, staff teaching all that, it literally, I think... Birth is a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous mm-hmm. um, situation. And when public institutions are being sloppy, it leads to preventable deaths, you know? I think yeah. it, it, it really needs... Like, it leads to w- women dying without cause, you know? Um, just because they weren't proper medical supplies. Or even just, like, girls, like, young girls who come to doctors or go to hospitals because of like menstrual health issues um, that can be treated and be sorted but the medication is not there or the understanding is not there um, I think it's very intentional I think when a government is not it's is not like investing in ensuring that there's proper, they have educated staff in their facilities, that they have informative information and that they have Medication on hand. I think you, you're not running a country effectively. You can't tell me as a public government that your public institutions, your hospitals, have a, med- a medicine shortage.
0: Um, I really like what you said about not caring for the lives of people, and I think by default, when you do not care for the source of life. We can speak about the spiritual aspect of life and what it is, but the body of a child, the passage of coming into life happens through Mm. the womb, right? So that's where all of us come from and that's where all of us have been. So if there is no care for the primary source of life, so the initial point of when you take your first breath, when there is no care for that segment of the population that means that the generation of children that are now coming into the world now have to bear that trauma of either being brought into the world under a lack of state care Mm -hmm. or where there isn't really space for them to function and to flourish Mm -hmm. based on the Mm -hmm. fact that they have been brought into life under the skies and just because now i'm speaking about the source of life being that right and mm. the reason why i'm saying this in particular is because i think we're not just speaking about women and their rights we're speaking about for the wombs that gave us warmth you know so when we understand yeah. the importance of taking care of women and how that will trickle down into um society so what do you think a world where women are taken care of and that children consequently have a better life in and then consequently a better world. What do you think a world like that looks like? Oh, I think a
1: world like that looks like praising the menstrual cycle. Mm. I think it's, it starts with literally wanting to understand it, wanting to teach it. um, And like finding pride in it, you know, not just women, but like, all of society I think it starts with women though because we are inherently really taught to not engage with that part of ourselves we it Mm. just it just happens it's an inconvenience that just comes once a month you know I'm going to bleed this is just the reality of it and it's going to feel really shitty but it'll pass and I think Mm. once we connect with our wombs in a way of actually no I want to love this process I want to embrace every month because i know i'm just gonna shed a new cycle and it's gonna teach me something about myself about letting go you know when mm. we find pleasure in our periods i think that will then force it will trickle down into okay cool if i have a son 100 my son's gonna know this is a process that i enjoy going through you're gonna know about this process because you're gonna engage with women whether you marry a woman or not, whether you have sisters, whether you have cousins, whether you have aunts, whether you have me as your mother, you know, you're going to engage with women at school, in so many spaces. And I really mm. think that, I think, um, it's it starts with that. It really starts with us just actually sp- seeing the sacredness, the physical sacredness and the spiritual sacredness of the menstrual cycle. Mm. That is actually very
0: lovely i think just because a lot of people would possibly not say that that's how we radically transform or that's how we inform radical transformation so we have a question here from ca and the question is since not all women have wombs and menstruate and give birth how can this analogy become more inclusive i think even
1: if we don't okay regardless of woman having wounds or menstruating, um, it, that's not like the center of womanhood, but it is the center mm. of human existence. You know, mm. um, we all come from a womb. We all come from a menstruating womb. We all give, get given birth to. And I think one thing I'm really grateful for in terms of my ex-relationship is how my partner, he really was interested in understanding menstruation. And at first, you know, he was like, this is not my business. But if if you're going to date me, this will 100% be your business. <laughs> mm. And and his willingness to engage in that space and to understand me and hold space for me in that space, um, it it became like an, an, an hour thing, you know? Like he mm. was like, okay, cool. This is our experience as your partner as the partner of a menstruating person you know mm-hmm. and I think even if you identify as a woman but you don't menstruate or you are a woman and you don't have a womb or menstruate um you still have women around you who have that experience there's still a connectedness that comes from understanding that experience by holding space for that experience because you come from that experience we all come from that experience you know mm. Um and that doesn't define womanhood or manhood, you know. there are men who have wombs, there are men who menstruate. I think mm. the thing that matters to me most is the, uh, the the understanding of the womb energy and menstruation, you know. Um mm. not on like a gender level, but more on like a spiritual level because it's a very spiritual thing. Like We all come from it, you know? And mm. it's a very sacred thing. And I think the sacredness of it has been removed. And I, ancient traditions and ancient societies understood the sacredness of it. They mm. understood the importance of that blood. I mean, not even just for ourselves. I mean, like, if you look, if you date back, menstrual blood used to be used to fertilize plants and to help plants grow because of... Mm the the nutrients that existed in that blood, you know. Um, some women used to, like, make teas for their husbands with their menstrual blood when they got sick because mm. that was something that was a healing thing, you know, for their society. So I think even... I think right now we're all trying to, like, move away from just labelling menstruation as something that women go through because it's not just women who go through menstruation. Um, mm. But I think we're not trying to reinstall the sacredness of it and the education of it. And the... the Like breaking down the barrier of people who menstruate, instead of looking at it as like a chore or a burden that happens or something that I have to go through, but as something Mm. that I get to go through, I get to menstruate. And what a privilege it is to be able to bleed from my body, to be able Mm. to... To, to see the moon and know what phase of my cycle I'm in, you know. And just like the overall cycle, not just menstruating only, like the overall menstrual cycle, um, mm. looking at the uh, like your follicular phase, your ovulation phase, your luteal phase, they all reveal so much different energies, you know, um, I'm, I'm going on a tangent here and I'm so sorry. I just, I'm just so (laughs) passionate about this. (laughs) No,
0: absolutely. And like just a shout out now is that Chloe actually is, um, the founder and the project manager for, because we bleed. So you, you could understand there, that's that's why I said it's not a lot of people that will say that understanding the menstrual, menstrual cycle is where we start radicalizing the empowerment and the knowledge that women have. And, you know, for most schools, um, it isn't even in the main syllabus, you know, like understanding yes. how menstruation works. And even though, like just understanding... How everything works, you know, how you have, and obviously you said there's a spiritual element to it, which is true, you know, and also yeah. we can go back and speak about colonialism. Um, you know, but we're not going to do that because sometimes <laughs> we could never stop. Never but everything no, 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 <laughs> no. Everything is a problem in that aspect. But yeah. what I, I think I really enjoyed is just you saying that there's an importance that we need to understand and the sacredness of that as well. Um, a lot of countries have started moving towards having menstrual leave days for their employees would you say that this is a step in the right direction for the global population
1: 100 percent, 100 percent. because i think like energetically um the first few days of a menstrual cycle really require you to sit inwards and to be within yourself you know it's like if you look at um so society runs on the male cycle M- men have a well men people who identify as men um, mm. they have a 24 hour cycle. So in the morning they've got lots of energy at night, they're tired, testosterone levels are at their lowest. So for us as menstruators, we run on a 28 to 35 well 23 to 35 day cycle. So mm. when you are menstruating, that is when your your hormone levels are at their lowest. That's when you need downtime. That's when you need to rest on a physical level, on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, on a mental level. So I think mm. having um, menstrual leave is so important in terms of just what a person can bring to the table at that time. It's, it's mm. There's no point in me showing up to work. When I cannot be my most effective biologically or, mm. you know, like at all. Like, this is the time where I literally, my brain does not I function. My the bosses hearing this. <laughs> 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 Even bosses are hearing this. Listen, <laughs> menstruators, our brain really shut <laughs> off during the first couple of days. Give us leave, okay? We cannot think.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's not to say that, you see, I think also with that, um, a lot of people will take that information and be like, oh, this is by the dates why menstruators or women are l- less than or weaker than men or are more incapable or shouldn't be in workspaces to begin with because mm. they can't show up the same. And it's like, mm. can you show up the same at 11 p.m. at night after a full day of working? I doubt it. Mm. I doubt your brain can work through that. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I think it's a fortunate thing. That's, Women's cycles, menstruator cycles is not 24 hours. Like, Mm. right now, I'm in my ovulation phase. I've got the most energy. I am so creative. I could work the whole day, every day for the next, like, 36 hours and, you know, just be flowing with mental energy. Mm. But ask me in the next couple weeks to do the same. I physically just my energy levels are depleted and not because I'm incapable, but because my body is literally crying for rest is because my mm-hmm. body is resetting. And I think going back to the understanding the sacred hood of menstruating brings in that knowledge of this is a rest period. This is a period where you are supposed to draw inwards. This is a period where you are supposed to listen to your intuition, where you're supposed to hear from your guides, your God, your ancestors, mm-hmm. What you believe in—the earth, you know, the universe—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's a place of reflection. It's a place of just inner secludedness, you know. Mm-hmm. So that when you go back and integrate into society, you are more—you're well-rounded. You're able to to give off your best and your fullest, you know. Mm. I think menstrual leave is very, it's very similar to back in the ancient days, women used to go to menstruating huts and mm. be in that space and be, you know, with other menstruators um, and just engage in that space of just, I'm being with my body. I'm being with myself right now mm. because that's important. And then I'm going to come back and integrate into society once this is finished at a, a at a higher level at a more peak level.
0: Mm. yeah that's very um what someone else would say very kumbaya but i yes. believe that we build <laughs> i believe that we build our worlds with our words right and yes. that's why i invited you here to speak about just this dynamic and you know We spoke a little bit, even though we didn't really quite explore and fully delve into the conversation, but just about equality, equity and access Mm -hmm. and what that looks like for people in different societies and in different places. What modern culture has allowed for um, is an establishment of self in an actualization of self in the environment. And so now you have more access to perhaps opportunities that you didn't have before. Mm -hmm. So you can go and get um, a job or work or be a wage earner. You know what I'm saying? Which is probably Mm -hmm. something that was like a radical wave of Western feminism into Africa would you say that just based on the idea of equality equity and access would you say that the westernized framework for feminism has adopted well in Africa or do you think that there is a difference between what a feminist and African feminist perspective and a western feminist perspective looks like and what would you say the difference is if there is any difference
1: I think there is a major difference and I think the reason there is one is if we just go back to like the origins of Western feminism to begin with Um, Western feminism emerged from white women seeing black women doing the same work as black men during slavery. That Mm. was like a, an aha moment for them. Like, Oh, actually these men keep telling us we can't do this. We're not strong enough. We're incapable. But look at these women doing the exact same as their men, you know? So I think Mm. if you look at it from that perspective, there's no ways it can be the same because a black woman's feminism would look completely different because we already had access in terms of workforce and in terms of labor and in terms of earning to some degree um, versus white women just didn't have that period, you know? Mm. And with, with that, I think black women's feminism, or at least for me, looks more like see me, like literally mm. acknowledge my being. You know, I'm not disposable to you as a as the man who is existing with me or mm. um you know and I think when it comes to access and equity and equality we have to acknowledge I think the differences that come with the two types of feminisms because it, it's pointless me fighting to have access to things that mm-hmm. I already have access to. Because at this point, if I'm already working the fields, I have access to work. Now it's a matter of, am I being compensated correctly for the access that I have? Is is it equal? Mm. There was one, someone who said um,
0: <laughs> that black women behave like, Um, No, someone said that white women act like black men when they're both frustrated. And the reason why I'm laughing at this now is because when you said that it cannot be under the same framework because of the adoption of what equality and Western feminism was meant to achieve for them. So like you said, is that for the framework here, it's more see me, acknowledge me for my work and Mm. don't just use me as a disposable form of whatever you'd like to do. So I really did like and enjoy that um, analogy, especially because you spoke about the depiction of what it would look like for us. So am I getting fairly compensated for this work? And perhaps do I want to be participating I guess we don't really have a say you know yeah <laughs> because like exactly said, the
1: exactly. situation
0: is kind of hopeless and you know now looking at how even older generations of women in society have started telling us as younger women that you know you don't don't rush to get married uh, make your own money have your own sort of livelihood and that going on. It becomes very interesting now to see that it's become very important for us to be self-sufficient which is perhaps what true generations of women before us couldn't really do when the capitalist, you know, kind of model came into life so based on that now you know you're a wage earner you're also a family person you're taking care of your cousins and your extended family do you think that the brunt of what we now term equality or freedom for women has actually led to happier societies of women across the world or do we all just want to regress and move back into what it was pre-colonially what do you think
1: i think to some degree we want to regress but i think with good reason you know mm. um it's not all sunshine and rainbows being a independent bad bitch working class i mm. get my own money woman you get what i mean <laughs> uh, <laughs> um i think it's actually very funny because in high school when my mom used to say this, I used to like roll my eyes because are you crazy? Because feminism <laughs> was such an intrinsic thing for me. But she was like, um, it's it's, it's very unfeminine to be feminist. Okay. And I'd, a part of me is still like, mm, ma'am, please do not speak <laughs> such rubbish in my presence. <laughs> but... <laughs> But there's a part of me that like understands because now that I'm in a working space and I'm understanding this, um, the idea basically of traditional roles in terms of men go out, you do work and I just, you know, I keep the house and that's my work. Mm. Those gender roles are there, you know? And I think men in today's society still expect those gender roles without their role of actually being a provider, Mm. you know? And that for me kind of like, you know, becomes kind of frustrating because I, I do want to rest in my feminine. I, I love that, you know, I'm very passionate and I love working and I love my work and I love what I, what I do and what I advocate for. um. And that's where I feel I can express my masculine energy in this space. But when I come, like when I have a partner and I'm, you know, home and I want to just, you know, I want to rest in the knowing that like I can rest in my femininity because my man's got me and he's in his divine masculine. So I can feel safe enough to be in my feminine. And I think, um, part of the reason why as women, we don't feel safe enough is because men don't create that safety. Like men just Mm. want, they don't want masculine women, but they don't want to be masculine men. So it's like, I don't know what you're asking of women at all, because like, you're just asking for the benefits and like no responsibility on your end. You know, Mm I don't know if that made sense. It did. I think it went into the provider
0: and caretaker model, which is something that has been, you know, intrinsic in society. So, again, I was watching, I think from the same lecture, I think this lecture taught me a lot, was just about how the responsibilities of African homes before Mm -hmm. colonialism was a thing, was structured, is that there was... No gender imbalance. So, like, there was no... Mm -hmm. Power dynamic in gender relations. That's the yes. right terminology. So there was no power dynamic in gender relations because each person had a role to play in the sustenance of that yes. family. Yes. And I think that's what's lacking from today's model, you know? Yes. So, like the interdependency of the ability for us to be sustainable in our provision for each other. So, mm. you cannot expect that you will get a nurturer, you will get a home builder and you will get a caretaker while you can never provide the space for me to be able to flourish, you know? So these need to be complementing roles where not just one person shows up to the party and you expect that, you know, just because you grew up like this and you identify as such, then you must do these things for me. So I think that kind Mm. of, um, now, what? what is it now? It's now the power dynamic is there, but pre colonially, there wasn't that dynamic in gender relations. So, mm, everyone mm. knew what they were supposed to do, and we're able to eat, you know, what's that shake some ass while we're you drinking, understand. <laughs> you know, and it's not that deep. Life goes on. So, I think it's yeah. been like a very interesting conversation around that and what we do. So, mm. thank you, Chloe. Your thoughts have been. So great and wonderful. Do you think you have anything to say to anyone just who perhaps has a very shallow view of women, um, people who identify as women and what that means to the the greater picture of the world? What would you say to them?
1: Um, I would say women are the backbone of society. Women and those who identify as women, like we have built society and I think until that connection has been made in everyone's minds and we all understand that intrinsically, then there can never be full balance because Mm. men just, they just take. They just take and take and take and take. And it's gotten to a point where I just feel like as women and like we are just like these wells that are running dry because these men are just taking and they're just taking, you know? And mm. I just think we should just stop giving. Like, I I would love for women to... <laughs> I would love for all women to just be like, nah, we are going to just go sit on the street. We're going to actually just go sit on the grass and meditate. Y'all can just sort yourselves out. Because y'all taking us for granted. And this is not going to work. You know? Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I also, you know, want us to... To work together. I think... The two energies are needed, you know, masculine energy and feminine energy. And the reason why I, I lean more towards like energy and not necessarily like man and woman is because we all harbor those energies. We all mm. harbor, we all have masculine and feminine energies and masculine and feminine qualities. We have a dominant energy. And I think then the key is to find a way to express your dominant energy energy. In a way that still holds space for the other energy, so if you feel like mm. you're a masculine energy um dominant type, then find ways to express that find healthy ways to express that that still supports and brings out um the dominant feminine you know in other people in those around you in those that you choose to have partnerships with. I just want to see a society where there is Collaboration and empathy towards both energies and all gender groups, and where we exist equally, and where we fill in each other's gaps, and where we show up wholeheartedly in the areas that we feel we're called to show up in. If we feel like we're meant to be nurturers, let us nurture the shit out of people who need it, you know? Mm if we feel like we're supposed to be providers, let us provide to the point where there is no, there'll never be a lack of provision in the space that we are choosing to provide in. But I would, yeah, I would just love to see more, more collaboration, more openness. You know, I think women are misunderstood and if we could have more conversations about the things that are stigmatized, like menstruation, about, um, emotions you know about vulnerability mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm a person who cries i love crying i cry when i'm happy i cry when i'm sad and i just like recently learned that a person who expresses a lot through crying is because your body is literally trying to your body is overwhelmed and it's just trying to get back into a state of safety you know whether that be you feeling a lot of joy and now you like you're crying or you're feeling really sad and now you're crying it's your body just trying to get back to a place of balance you know Mm. and i think we need to we need to have these conversations because that's only we'll learn to appreciate these things yeah Mm.
0: that was so beautiful and i think just in line with the podcast title which is you know For the wombs that gave us warmth, women, may we know them. What is your best memory in line with the question asked by CA? What is the best memory that you have? Or what lessons have you learned from the wombs that have given you warmth? Or the mother figures in your life, what are some of the greatest lessons that they have taught you?
1: They've taught me to defend myself. Um my mom especially my mom oh she's my best friend she's my princess <laughs> um, yeah i think her and my grandmother one of the best lessons that i think they've taught me is to just defend myself and to just show up in my as my authentic self unapologetically you know they've taught me to find beauty in me being exactly who i am and to be proud of being this embodiment of a woman, this embodiment of God, you know, mm. in, in in every aspect of myself. They've taught me to, to trust in myself, to trust in what I believe in for myself, to trust in what I imagine for myself, to trust in what I imagine for society, you know? Um, mm. Yeah, they've taught me to, like, silence the voices that tell me I'm not good enough or that make me feel shame and mm. to just... Be like, hold up, I am that bitch Will forever be that bitch (laughs) Exactly (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah Yeah. They've taught me many, many things But I think one of the things that I'm really Grateful for is The lesson To just be me To just Mm -hmm. literally hold space for me And to be confident In me Mm. I love that. Um, I'll share
0: and then I'll I'll make yes, like please. some comments and similarities. <laughs> so, you know that TikTok sound that says, my mother, my mother, my mother, my mother. My yes. mother, my mother, my mother. <laughs> you know, so that's the one that came to mind right now because, wow, I could also just speak about that currently for a long time so right. i think i mentioned this in every podcast episode because i but she is currently doing um so the reason i'm saying this is because it's linked to what i'm gonna say next but she's currently mm-hmm. doing a study on how um gendered names in the Swazi language, you know, so Mm -hmm. she's just speaking about the dynamic of how certain names will impact the lives of children based on how they're perceived by their families. So, you know, things like that. So it's a, it's very interesting because we've been talking a lot about gender prescriptions only happening in post-colonial documentation and all of that stuff. But one of the most important lessons that my mother has taught me is to stand up for myself. And, you know, I used to not understand. What do you mean I must understand up for myself? I'm just a child, you know. <laughs> but she really would just show up to things and say, listen, you need to know how to show up to defend yourself. And you need to know how to speak up for yourself. And so she taught me that. It took me a while to get around to saying it. But she's the reason why. I won't let anyone step on my toes or, you know, why I will be very open with what I think because she's very much the same. She also taught me how to give, which is, I think, something remarkable. It's just her ability to say, listen... You must share what you have. You must always share what you have. It's very important for you to give what you have um, with the people around you and with your community. So I'd say those are the things that have impacted me well in my life and have improved the quality of my life thus far. So I'd say, you know, for the wombs that gave us warmth, women, may we know them. If you have a shout out for, you know, the women... In your life or if you want to know more about them, get in tune with what their struggles are, get in tune with how you can help them. And like Chloe said, we all can associate ourselves with that experience of... um, the warmth that we've been given to because everyone was once there and that is who everyone is has become now whoever you are whether you identify as a woman or not you have a history of coming from that bloodline and that line of what heritage and culture so thank you very much for joining us on the tea with tea podcast If you're hearing this, you have gotten to the end of our conversation. So while we clean up our platters and cleanse our palates in preparation for the next session of Tea's Finely Brewed Tea, please follow, like and share this podcast with your friends, family and whoever you like. And if you are looking for me because you want to talk to me, tag me, mention me, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and my handles are in the episode
1: description Thank you for sharing a fine meal with tea.